0: Hello, this is Dr. Paul Sachs. I'm editor-in-chief of Open Forum Infectious Diseases, and today we have a real treat. We have two experts who are going to discuss the recent sort of scandal and outrage that occurred over the pricing of the drug pyrimethamine. So let's start with Dr. Aaron Kesselheim. He's the associate professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and director of the program on regulation, therapeutics, and law at Brigham and Women's Hospital. And he's being joined by Dr. Joel Gallant, medical director of specialty services at Southwest Care Center with faculty appointments in the divisions of infectious diseases at Johns Hopkins University and the University of New Mexico. So Aaron, start us off with a general overview of drug pricing in the United States. How are drug prices here and how does this differ from other resource-rich countries?
1: First of all, Paul, thanks for inviting me. I think the essential point is that drug prices are whatever the manufacturer says they are. In many other countries, in Europe, for example, there's a central regulatory agency that sets the price of the drug. And in the United States, we don't have that. We allow drug companies to charge whatever they want and whatever the market will bear. And in fact, we have laws on our books that make it harder for government payers in particular to negotiate with manufacturers over drug prices. The competitive market in the United States makes it more difficult for the private payers to negotiate lower drug prices as well, which is one of the reasons why brand-name drug prices are higher in the United States than they are basically anywhere in the world. Now, I would also point out that that works to the favor of uh, generic drugs when there are a lot of manufacturers in the market. That drives the price down, and actually for most generic drugs, prices in the United States are lower than they are in other countries. However, in some cases uh, you know, of older generic drugs where that competition breaks down and you get a monopoly-like manufacturer or quasi-monopoly or an oligopoly where a small number of manufacturers control the market, then the prices can jump back up again. But the essential lesson is that drug prices in the United States, there's no regulation around them, and manufacturers are able to charge basically whatever they can get away with.
0: Now, Aaron, I've heard there's some exceptions. For example, uh, the VA or the prison system is that correct
1: The VA is a good example of a government payer that actually can negotiate effectively with companies. There's no restrictions on their ability to negotiate, and they have uh, ability to exclude drugs from their formularies if those drugs aren't effective or aren't more effective than other drugs. And as a result, the VA gets the lowest prices among any government payer in the United States. Those prices are still high, but are more in line with prices that are found in some European countries.
0: Switching now to the infectious disease part, Joel, remind us about pyrimethamine. It's not a drug that we ID doctors prescribe very often. What are its indications? And then also, how did you come to learn about the massive price increase that occurred?
2: Sure. Pyrimethamine is an antiprotozole that's been used to treat malaria, and is really one of the cornerstones of the treatment of toxoplasmosis. So. In the U.S., our guidelines say that somebody with Toxo should get pyrimethamine plus either clindamycin or a sulfonamide plus leucovorin. So there really is no way to treat Toxo according to recommended regimens and guidelines without pyrimethamine. It's been around for about 62 years. It was originally manufactured as Daraprim by Voxo Smith Klein and cost about a dollar a pill. They then sold it to another company who raised the price. 1350 a pill, which seemed like a lot at the time, but sort of pales in comparison with the recent 5,000% increase to $750 a pill. I learned about it. Interestingly, I got a call or an email from somebody at this company, Turin Pharmaceuticals, that I'd never heard of, asking me to come celebrate the so-called launch of this drug and to teach me how to market it on their speakers bureau. I told him I didn't do those things, but that I was puzzled about why a drug that was so old needed a launch. And learned a few days later from people at the HIV Medicine Association about this price increase and that it all made sense.
0: This uh, price increase is startling in its magnitude and got a lot of attention, but apparently it's happened quite a few times before. Aaron, give us some examples, both you know, in the ID and then in the non-ID area.
1: You're right. This is an eye-popping example, but it's not unique. Sticking with infectious disease to start, there's a, an antiparasitic drug called albendazole where there was a, a recent increase in price under similar circumstances. That was a drug that was also made by GlaxoSmithKline for a really long time, and then it was bought by another uh, smaller private holding company. They raised the price from about $6 for a daily dose to nearly $120. Other examples of drugs that have seen major jumps in prices include doxycycline, which which increased from $0.06 a pill to over $3 a pill. And then outside the ID world, clomipramine is an antidepressant agent that increased from $0.22 to over $8 a pill. Captopril and digoxin are drugs for heart disease that increased 3,000% or so. There are a lot of these examples where competition fails for one reason or other, and the manufacturer decides to take advantage and raise the prices as much as they can get.
0: So this is all very much legal once there's one company. Company that has the drug, they can basically charge whatever they want, right?
1: Right. antitrust law in the United States prevents companies from taking anti-competitive actions to raise prices. So if two companies were found to be colluding with each other to keep prices high instead of competing, or if a company was fixing prices in some way, but if a company naturally has a monopoly in the marketplace, then they can charge whatever they want.
0: So Joel, why did this particular price increase of pyrimetamine slash Daraprim get so much attention?
1: Yeah,
2: I think there are two factors. One is that they took on the HIV activists and advocates. Uh, Up until now, this hadn't really affected HIV drugs very much. And in particular, a drug that treats toxo is a drug that's primarily being used for disadvantaged people, low-income people, since they're the ones more likely to have delayed diagnosis and develop opportunistic infections. So there was kind of a pre-existing machine to combat this price increase within the HIV world. The HIV Medicine Association and the Infectious Disease Society of America really took a lead as well as a lot of activists. There aren't those kind of activist organizations with a lot of other disease states. I think the other factor was just Turing itself and particularly its CEO, I believe his name is Strelly, who was a very out-there guy. He was really the spokesman for his company. He wasn't just sort of sitting in a back room somewhere making these price decisions, but he was going on TV defending his actions. And he made a very compelling public villain because he seemed to embody everything that was wrong with unfettered capitalism. And his very public Twitter feed, he was giving the real reason for the price increase, which was profit motive. But of course, on television, he was trying to sound more altruistic and it just wasn't very believable. So I think the combination of the disease they were taking on and their spokesman made this a real big story nationally.
0: Aaron, I have another question about the market. I mean, if the drugs are generic, why don't other companies simply start making them on their own and then share in some of this profit from the drug?
1: So that's one of the unique features of the generic drug market that makes this such a public health problem. You know, if we were talking about Televisions or microwave ovens or any other consumer product, and a company was all of a sudden able to start commanding an extremely high profit margin, then other companies would just rush in and undercut the price, and there would be competition, and the price would come back down. In order to get a new generic drug on the market, a company needs to engage in bioequivalent studies showing that the drug works the same as the brand name version and then submit an application to the FDA. Currently, there's about a three-year waiting period before the FDA Office of Generic Drugs can even get to read applications, and that's because for many, many years, the Office of Generic Drugs has been starved for resources. The resources at the FDA and attention at the FDA tends to be focused on approval of new drugs, not approval of generic drugs. You know, Even if a company tomorrow had an application ready to try to enter the market with its own version of they'd still have to wait three years. And that doesn't even uh, take into account... The actions of Turing in setting up a limited distribution of its product to try to prevent potential generic competitors from obtaining the samples that they need to do the bioequivalent studies in the first place, which is arguably one of these antitrust violations that I was talking about earlier. But the, the details of that remain to be seen. But even if we discount that, it still would be a number of years before a product could enter the market, even going through the normal channels, which would obviously keep the price elevated.
0: Joel, I was wondering about how this particular episode relates to other controversial pricing episodes in the ID slash HIV world. I mean, when you think back, we had, of course, the initial protests about the price of AZT, and then there was the ritonavir price increase. And then, of course, more recently, the hepatitis C therapies all got a lot of attention. Why is this one different if it is different?
2: The big difference here is that those were at least companies that had done the research and drug development to bring those drugs to market. In this case, this is not a drug that they've researched. I don't even know if they have researchers or a lab. It's just a commodity that they invested in. So they really can't justify the price increase on development that they've done. They just made up a high number and hoped that they could get away with it. But of course, this brought attention to price increases from more legitimate drug companies that actually do develop drugs, and I think they're understandably quite worried that the anger over what's happened with pyrimethamine will spill over to their own pricing.
0: So Aaron, do you see this episode as kind of a tipping point where we have better regulation of drug pricing, in particular this kind of predatory drug pricing? Any solutions ahead?
1: I I have been impressed with the staying power of this story. There have been certainly a lot of news reports in the past of high-cost drugs and controversy around them, and they tend to abate once the news cycle shifts. And in this case, this has stayed on the top of the headlines now for a few months and actually has been taken up by a number of the presidential candidates. Whether or not there are any solutions in the short term, I think, is a different question. The most likely solutions have to be around trying to improve the level of competition in the market. On the one hand, by looking into data on comparative effectiveness between pyrimethamine and other treatment options for this condition that might be available, or working on the generic marketplace and trying to reduce the queue at the Office of Generic Drugs and taking other steps to try to improve the competitiveness of the generic marketplace for these older niche products where the market otherwise doesn't seem to be working. And I think that those are some of the more realistic solutions that are achievable in the short term.
0: So Joel, what is the latest on the pyrimethamine saga?
2: So there have been a number of interesting developments. First, the Infectious Disease Society of America now has a blog where physicians can write in their experience of trying to get pyrimethamine, although Turing says it's very easy and there's a patient assistance program, things haven't worked out so well. Of course, hospitals can't afford to keep this drug on their shelves anymore, and people with toxin need immediate treatment you have to fill out forms to get the patient assistance program which would apply to outpatients and I'm told that this is now prolonging hospital stays because they can't get the drug for people and also physicians are now going to a relatively untested alternatives such as trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole which is used widely around the world but which has not been recommended in the U.S. for lack of data. There was recently a meeting with the Turing folks by people at the HIVMA and other advocates and activists. I don't know how far they got. The latest I heard was that Turing promises to reduce the price, but they're saying something like 10%, which of course won't be uh, acceptable to anyone. Another generic company has announced that they will provide a co-formulation of pyrimethamine plus leucovorin for a dollar a pill, which is wonderful and got everybody excited. I don't know what the implications of that are. This is a compounding pharmacy and this wouldn't be an FDA approved product. So I I don't know whether that's the answer to our prayers, but it was a great headline to see.
0: Yeah, I really heard a lot from our transplant group, ID group, where they would routinely use trimethoprim sulfa and have sort of gotten away from pyrimethamine, which would be an ironic end to this saga. So I'm going to ask you two one last question each This is a bonus round. It's kind of like the last round And Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. In 10 years, where is Martin Shkreli? What is he doing?
1: Maybe he is a uh, a ringmaster at a circus somewhere. He definitely has the ability to get a lot of people to pay attention to him by saying and doing crazy things. But uh, I don't think he's anywhere near the pharmaceutical industry. Joel? Yeah, I'd say he's either going to be in prison
2: or – he's doing a short sell where he's going to make huge profits off the decline in stock prices of his company and he'll be on a yacht in the Mediterranean somewhere.
0: Well, anyway, this has been a really fun conversation. I want to thank our two guests, Dr. Aaron Kesselheim and Dr. Joel Gallant for joining me today and discussing the latest on the pyrimethamine price increase. Thank you for joining us.